why do people become sexologists? What do sexologists do and what are they like? Welcome to the podcast from one sexologist to another with your host, Sikatak the Sexologist from Iceland. Okay, hi Tame, welcome to the show. Hey, nice to meet you. It's nice to be here. Yeah, I'm so happy because we've met quite a few times and you're one of my favorite sexologists. You always amaze me with your comments and insights. Oh, I am. That's nice to hear. I uh, haven't heard that a lot. Really? Are you serious? Finland's number one sexologist. Tommy, you're everywhere. I always see you in like various conferences. Can you um, tell us a little bit about your, you and your work? Like, Where did you study and stuff like that? Um, my work at, at the moment um, is in Sexpo Foundation in Finland. We work in very different fields, um, from sexual politics to training sexologists um, and providing counseling and stuff. So I'm basically running the NGO. So I, I do whatever it takes, from from you know picking up the trash and to to working with financial management. So everything in between. Um, I'm a philosopher. Um, my background is from the University of Helsinki, and I did my doctoral thesis on, on sexual ethics. So um, that would be my um, angle into sexology. Mm-hmm. Philosophy mm-hmm. of sexuality, uh, ethics, societal questions, those kind of things, I, I would say. Okay. But how is, how is it with Sexpo? Um, so you say you're an NGO. How many people work there? Oh, we have now in our staff and in our therapist group, we have some 12 people around, I'd say. So what does it do? do? Are people able to go and seek services? Do you deliver sex ed or counseling or how does this work? Actually, we have plenty of services. Um, our, our counseling services are free. Okay. Unless you go to like sex therapy, deeper, in, deeper into the matters, then it's going to be um, charged. Mm-hmm. Uh, from you, but um, also our services include consultation for professionals, for example, and and um, I think the biggest thing we are doing at the moment is training sexologists. We have different training programs, and we are just you know starting this autumn uh, clinical sexology program as well, uh, which is a big one. So um, we have plenty of training going on, and we have our. Uh, People coming from outside of our organization also participating as lecturers and, and trainers in our training programs. Yeah. So I think we are now the biggest trainer in sexology in Finland. Yearly, we might have some 100 or 120 students in total. Wow, okay. So would you say that sexology is quite strong in Finland? It is. It is very strong. And, and the major thing is at the moment that uh, people from the health field have been very enthusiastic about the topic and, and they come to our training programs from hospitals, um, from health centers, uh, from, from other NGOs. Mm-hmm. So the health field is pretty strong at the moment and they even cut support from their em- employers. Yeah, okay, that's great. And the, the clinical program that you were talking about, is that a master's level or...? Well, basically it is. It is uh, because it takes... Um, 120 ECTS to to become a clinical sexologist, so it's the highest level of, of, of sexology training in Nordic countries. And I, I think only one place 
in Sweden maybe has organized them before, mm-hmm. and then there might be something going on in Denmark, but it's it's only a couple of organizations doing that in Nordic mm-hmm. countries. Oh, okay. And do you have people coming from abroad to take that course, or not this time? Uh, this is a, this is the first time we uh, throw this sort of a program, so uh, we have mostly Finnish participants, uh, but our, our trainers are coming from all over the world. Actually, we are yeah. invited one of the best and you know um shining beacons in in, in sexology to, to can, teach out are you allowed to name drop i can uh, one of them is uh, sara nasrasade okay um, a sexology a clinical sexologist and psychologist from um from us and then there is um which yeah. is a medical doctor from uh, Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And then we have our Nordic colleagues, uh, Elsa Almos and Espen Esther Pirelli-Berestad from uh, Norway mm-hmm. to, to drop the, the maybe the key key persons. And then, of course, uh, us Finns. Wow, okay. I look forward to hearing how it goes. Sure, I will, I will update you when we start it. Uh, perfect. But um, what do you say, sexual ethics? Can you go a little bit into that? Like, so people understand what what are you dealing with when you're talking about sexual ethics? Well, uh, most importantly, I work a lot with practical ethics, which, which can be, for example, professional ethics in sexological work, if it's done in, for example, um, child welfare institutions or or in social care or in many different contexts. It can be, for example, a discussion about how to um, promote and and respect people's sexual rights when they are in an institution. Mm-hmm. If you happen to have an intellectual disability or other reasons, or mental, uh, mental illness, for example, and you have to be in an institution, how to provide, how to how to uh, make sexual rights respected in those kind of situations. For example, other things is that I work with uh, legal ethics uh, or legal 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 philosophy, how the legal legal uh, matters or how the laws are. You know, are they supporting people's sexual rights and are they supporting? Um, are they are they are they um, done? Uh, in a way that they actually can be justified ethically, or are they just, you know, a traditional or historical ballast that, that, that is lot that there is a lot of that in legislation, for example. Mm-hmm. In Finland, uh, we are now working with the uh, trans uh, legislation, mm-hmm. which still is is archaic. It's it's horrific. Uh, we, we have. At the moment, uh, the requirement for trans people to sterilize themselves if what? they want to go uh, under, undergo the surgery. So, it is something that that is not not always done. But basically, the law says that it is supposed to. Right. So we have this sort of um, old relics within the legislation, and and um, the one way to to look at them and and look into the need for change is to think at what is ethically justified and what is not. Okay, so where do you stand? Because I know that you've been um, advocating and talking about the ban on circumcision. Sure. So where does Finland stand in that regard? Because obviously Iceland has had this huge debate and now it's kind of just like been buried. It's buried? Okay, that's that's bad to hear. Yeah, it's kind of been buried. So um, I guess Congress didn't want to, uh, they didn't take it up before summer vacation. 
So it's likely, I heard from somebody um, who is high up, who said it's likely to be kind of just buried. That sounds like a typical cowardice that that is there within this topic. Because um, in Finland, for example, 90% of, of the population supports uh, putting an age limit on, on circumcisions or on different kinds of genital uh, surgeries on on minors, unless you have a medical mm-hmm. justification for the procedure. Um, but, and also doctors support it, pediatrics support it, but um, the Ministry uh, of, of social, uh, Health and Social Affairs has been hesitant to do anything, Similar because they have here. connections to the international field, and if, if you suggest something like that, you always have a huge... Um, amount of, of responses, angry responses from our Jewish people, mm-hmm. uh, the, the state of Israel uh, and, and some organizations abroad and they really can target you with a campaign and you will get, get lots of... Lots we of, felt that, we felt that here in Iceland. Yes. And then people get afraid. Basically, even if they agree with the with the actual matter, like having an age restriction on those operations, mm-hmm. uh, they get afraid that we don't want to be the first to suggest something like that, and we don't want to be in the middle of this international discussion. They don't want to. Right. Nobody wants to set the precedent or lead. They just yeah. want to follow. That's right. And and as politicians, they don't want to do anything that might, you know. Um, damage the popularity uh, because if you happen to be in the middle of a scandal it might land badly so uh, politicians mm-hmm. are in a way our worst enemies even if the population is totally um, <laughs> you know supporting mm-hmm. uh, the age limit mm-hmm. still we have difficulties in, in convincing the politicians uh, and 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 officials to to work on that yeah 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 but how is um so how is like the sexual culture in Finland? Because we, I think the stereotype of, of Finland is, you know, you have dark sense of humor and <laughs> kind of morbid and macabre and stuff like that. But how is, um, so how's like the sexual culture? Well, here in the North, uh, as you know, you know as well that we have um, lots of dark winter nights so mm-hmm. <laughs> we have a lot of good time for having sex <laughs> um, what comes to the culture it depends on which part of Finland you happen to be in oh, okay. in, in, in big cities it's it's very different than in, in countryside countryside is more traditional and um, not that open to different variation and diversity but in the big cities it's always um you sh- you're supposed to be minding only your own business, and it works quite well, especially because Finns have a kind of a big social distance. Um, as an individual, you can basically do whatever you want, how you want to express your sexuality, and you don't need to worry about your neighbors or your surroundings that much. Mm. But the problem might come from your relatives, for example, if you are if you happen to uh, be openly gay or in, interested in BDSM or polyamory or something else that is not the, the typical traditional mainstream, mm-hmm. you might get some comments. But basically, if you live in a big city, you have the opportunity to do whatever you like and you don't, you don't have to include your relatives or anything because, because uh, the social distance is such a big, big thing that 
people just don't know what you are, you're up to unless they right. are exposed to you. So uh, in that sense, Finland is quite free and quite easy. So it's like, very, very easy to disconnect from from those relatives and friends who are you know who who wouldn't approve your choices, for example. Okay, so like personal expression, just like the way you dress and and queer matters and stuff like that, you can be quite free, like within Helsinki yeah. and what other cities are we talking about? Like in Turku, Tampere, Oulu, Jyväskylä, like every city, okay. and also it, it, I think it's connected to to the city, you know, to cities with universities as well. If you or you know, uh, universities applied sciences. If you have big universities in the cities, there will be a lot of young people around. And they will always challenge the current um, mm-hmm. mainstream morality in many ways. So, so this is the case, and I think it's it's a global trend. It's not only in Finland, but it happens like this in many countries. We've been seeing here in Iceland that people are starting to open up their relationships. So that's um, mm-hmm. a matter that a lot of is coming up in sex, sexual counseling a lot at the yeah. at the moment. Do you see the same trend? Yes, it, it started like um, a couple of years ago. As a stronger current, and it has been going on, and I, I've been involved because I've been, in a way, being one of those people who have been talking about open relationships and polyamory and, and stuff like that um, openly in many occasions, um, and also the, the kind of a sex-positive uh, subculture is also strongly beginning it has been forming it has been more like uh, different separate bubbles of people now now the people have come together because of of, of joint efforts and, and a festival called Wanderlust which is um sex positive festival to, today no, last weekend was the fifth annual uh, festival wow. okay and it, it gets like 200 people um also uh, every part of Finland and different countries as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, these kind of bigger events and, and networks have been creating a new buzz in, in the sex-positive uh, queer diversity. So field. what happens at Wanderlust? Well, um, we have, uh, for example, porn screenings, we have workshops, mm-hmm. we had a panel on sex work, With sex workers in as how, panels. And how is sex work? What are sex worker rights like in Finland? Because I think when people talk about Nordic countries, Sweden just always pops up. So they, I think we yeah. often fall under that umbrella as uh, Nordic Sweden countries. Is, Sweden is kind of a in my in my um, mind. Sweden is kind of a black hole when it comes to sex work, and and Sweden is a black hole that tries to suck other countries in it as well um, with the with the policy of, of, of banning buying of sex, essentially banning sex work. Mm-hmm. Um, in Finland, sex work is legal. Okay. And, and there are some limitations, of course, of what comes to pimping or, of course, like trafficking. Um, but otherwise, it's legal to be, be a sex worker and buy sex. And is Basically, it... you, have to, you have to work as an independent uh, service provider. You You cannot... You cannot organize a brothel or anything like that. Okay, and and how? I mean, for how long has that been in Finland like that? Uh, I cannot say when it, when has it started, but it has been very long. Okay. It's a, it's a decade decade long thing. So the law hasn't oh. been changed that much. So um, it has been legal since 
Oh, I'm sorry, I cannot say it. No, no. But why don't we ever hear about how uh, how it works in Finland? You know, having legalized sex work. We always hear just about like uh, Sweden and Holland, like the Netherlands. That's the only two countries I feel that people talk <laughs> about in this regard. And what about Denmark? Denmark, I think yeah. Denmark sex work is legal as well, and, and and Denmark is even stronger than Finland when it comes to sex work culture. Um, many people uh, consider Denmark as one of the Nordic countries where sex work always has been sort of sort of open, not not that open than in in Netherlands for or in Germany, but but still more open than in other other countries. Um, in Finland, a lot of lot of well, sex workers are basically independent. Um, there are some ethnic places that are working as as in, in massage parlors, and then there are. Uh, most most of the Finnish sex workers are contacting clients via internet services. Mm-hmm. Are there are a couple of websites that they usually use, and some of them have their own websites as well. Mm-hmm. well have you encountered any particular problems? Because it's always uh, they they say that this will drive in huge trades of um, like slavery and that's a common thing. I think we have to address it. It's so it's what's always said. I mean, this is what you hear all the time in Iceland. That's why they yeah, they ban stripping and stuff like that. It's just rhetoric, and and in European countries, it's most bullshit. Um, it comes from some misplaced um, newspaper articles, and for example, there was this huge thing um, in the early two thousands that that um, when there were when there were football, uh, big football games in Germany, mm-hmm. and some of the abolitionist organizations, they screamed that, okay, now we are going to see uh, a huge rise in, in, in sexual slavery and trafficking in Germany. Mm-hmm. And they said that there will be like, you know, uh, thousands of... of I remember that. I, re- I, I, yeah, I remember that, yeah. And then there were some serious studies done about it, and sex workers were interviewed, and nobody find any, any you know... <laughs> Indication that there has has been some trafficking or some huge numbers of, you know, of course it was a good season for brothels, of course, why not? But then, uh, nobody saw any, you know, increase in any kind of a that now there will be be uh, be uh, Slavic slavers coming with trains of of girls in shackles or anything like that. People really didn't see any change in the field except that they had more clients uh, in. In the, in the good season than than in the low season, so um, <laughs> that is that is the I think that is the typical case of 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 the trafficking scare that works now within the discussion. If you look at the evidence, if you look at the serious organizations working in the field, most of them um, support decriminalization mm-hmm. and sex worker rights. Would, so would you say that sex workers are supported in Finland? Do, do they face prejudice or do they get proper health care and stuff like that? Um, well, sex workers are not blocked out of any health care. But of course, when, when they work independently, they need to organize it themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not possible to get anywhere else because you cannot have problem uh, brothels or collectives of any kind. Um, one thing that is considered a problem typically in Finland is, is uh, street sex workers, which are mostly foreign. They come from uh, certain African countries or they come uh, from Russia, mm-hmm. typically. And the street sex workers, it's a, the fact that it's a problem for some people, it's also a funny case 
uh, because in, in a few years back, for example, um, the city of Helsinki and, 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 and the police did a big crackdown. They wanted to close or, you know, drive the sex workers out from a couple of clubs they have been working in. And after that, they created themselves a street street, you know, soliciting problem, <laughs> which is also a typical case. After, uh, before that, that happening, uh, there was no street sex worker question mm. at all. Okay. Because they were working in the clubs and the clients knew which clubs to go into. Right. And, right, and right, right. They, did, did, you know, they did the interaction within the clubs and then went to a hotel or somebody's own, own apartment. Mm. And it was discreet. It didn't bother anyone. When the uh, police and, and the officials threatened the clubs that we will close your clubs if you allow this to happen, uh, the workers moved outside. And then we had this huge street prostitution problem suddenly. Right. Oh, wow, what was the reason for that? <laughs> the bloody officials was the reason for that. So uh, this is the kind of... Um, <laughs> this is the structure how uh, sex works becomes a problem. Mm, okay. It is not a problem if it's facilitated. If it's you know, if you have a certain system for that, and everybody follows the system, and that is something you could enforce if you need to facilitate it some ways, like they do in in you know in Germany and they do it in Netherlands. But, but regardless, sex workers themselves and their organizations and many other human rights organizations are working to have, have, sex, work de- have sex work decriminalized, which means that there wouldn't be any facilitating like that. Mm-hmm. But why, why did the p- police uh, suddenly decide to crack down and the government? Are they looking to change the legislation anyway? Or? No, uh, there was a... There was a huge newspaper story that you can buy sex in these these nightclubs. Ah, uh, some right. politicians got upset, and the police commissioner need, needed to do something because the politicians were calling him, and so so that they, they did something, and they created created a problem out of a thing that wasn't a problem before. But, but it's interesting that that would be a sensationalized uh, newspaper article when this is just like a matter of fact. That this yeah, you, can, you can buy sex work in Finland. It is it's okay, but like that. That's why dynamic. would yeah? That's, that's it's, dynamic it's, of very, it. it's very it goes strange. Like this and it goes like that every every other country as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, yes, I, we've noticed that here. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I'm fascinated. Um, I've been looking into nudity, and I've been thinking a lot about it, especially be, with us Nordic countries. We're a bit different, especially when you um, look to towards US and even UK yep. and Ireland. I was and I was thinking about your saunas because you have this um, mm-hmm. great tradition of saunas, and people usually go naked into them, right? Yeah, sure. And how do you feel? Did did you have uh, the hashtag free the nipple in Finland? Uh, it was a very minor thing. Some people reacted to that, but in our perspective, uh, from our cultural perspective, it was like a bit, a bit of a pointless thing. Yeah, exactly, because uh, nakedness is not such a taboo. Mm-hmm. Okay. About the sauna, sauna culture, um, it's, it's, it's mostly built on families, that families go to sauna together to okay. bathe. Which is a good thing, uh, depending if you have a big family or if, if you invite friends. So, for example, you, you might have a good image of, of people with their naked bodies. So you are very familiar with, with the naked bodies and you're familiar with being with people mm-hmm. who are naked. So this is a very valuable thing. Without sexualizing nudity, yeah. 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 What comes to the public sound culture, then you have the swimsuits or towel on. 
and and or it's usually you know divided by gender, which is actually a way of uh, also reinforcing the gender stereotypes exactly. in the public public sort of culture, which I don't completely like. And well, if you go to student parties or something like that, they might have a common sauna thingy that they just go there together, okay. naked. naked. Um, but in many other cases, sauna culture, you know, between adults who don't know themselves that well during in workplaces, in other places, tend to be separated by, by the gender or you have a swimsuit on. So it's kind of a... It's a bit mixed. Mm-hmm. It is, in a way, quite free compared to many other countries. But then there are these own rules and divisions that mm-hmm. apply to Finnish sonar culture. Would, would you be allowed, like, if you um, if you were female or identified as female, or could you go like topless? Is it okay to just wear just like a towel to hide your uh, genitals, or is that also divided by gender? You know that you would have to wear a top if you go to public sauna. Uh, typically, in public saunas, you have a different facilities. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I see. So that's, that's the case. But there are some, or you have different, you know, turns. That first there is a couple of hours turn for men, and then there's a couple of hours hours turn for women. In some cases, there might be um, the system that then there is the common uh, turn for everyone mm-hmm. afterwards after these two to, you know, uh, turns. So, um, but basically if you go to, for example, if you go to a spa, which has a huge pool area, mm-hmm. sauna area as well, there might be some common saunas that you can go together um, and you can go there totally naked. You don't need to wear anything. But typically in this case also, um, the sauna areas are separated. So okay. this is the way that it's facilitated that way. Do they have those in in the spa? So they have those signs because I was in uh, I was in a spa in Zurich, and there they had these signs that said "Do not have sex." They had them all over there. It's like "Do not have sex." But even no. you know, it, it was not a nude spa. You know, people were wearing their swimsuits. That's a German specialty, because Germany's spa culture is much more open than Finnish sauna culture. German in Germany, uh, saunas and and spas, many of them tend to be naturist uh, yeah, okay. places. Mm-hmm. So the nakedness and being in the same facilities, uh, commonly together, it's it's uh, typical in Germany in many places. So and some of those places also double as so, sort of uh, hooking up places or sex even sex clubs or you know it's a yeah. it's a mixed culture. So I think it's it's reasonable in Germany some point to say that well this is not that sort of a spa so right. you know, please don't have sex here it might be more reasonable in some cases in Germany but in Finland people wouldn't consider having sex typically okay well that's interesting because uh, Blue Lagoon some years ago that was a typical hooking up spot for Icelanders yeah. and now they have these um, guards that walk around with sticks and if you are too close or you look like you're rocking back and forth or something like that they will actually like hit you with a stick and they'll be like no no more hugging no i've had this happen and we're like what we're not doing anything and they're like no no don't don't be so close because um americans apparently were complaining about us dirty icelanders (laughs) having sex in front of them while they were trying to bathe 
So is that the reason uh, the water is, is a bit kind of a milkish? <laughs> well, you might, you know, and then you have this white substance in the bottom that people are putting on their face. It always just, it, I find it so funny. Everybody's taking pictures of themselves and I'm like, okay, this reminds me of yeah. something. I'm not going to say what, but... Now, now I'm interested in the consistency of this. What, what is it made of the white stuff in the bottom? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's silica and the half of the Icelandic population. Yes. But now it's not possible because, you know, they built a new lagoon and hired a bunch of people to poke you with a stick. Ah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Pretty nice service. You can get hit if you want to. Um, I wonder if BDSM people go there. If you have masochists, you can go there hacking. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that they beat uh, fast and uh, hard enough, I have to say. <laughs> but it's funny because it's totally separate from... Because um, we have this spa culture, but it's different. We have the local swimming pools which usually are not sexualized and mm. you have no nudity in the local swimming pools. It's always, you know, you have to mm. wear your swimsuit. Um, mm. But there was in some particular saunas within the swimming pools, there was like a kind of a gay scene, just like between men. Yeah, but that was also right. kind of broken up. But then we have these, um, these not geysers, but uh, natural hot springs. Yes. And that used to be, you used to be nude bathing in those. And foreigners, mm. when they came to Iceland, used to be nude as well. But that we've seen that totally change. Okay. Um, there has been some talk that there's also a new wave of prudishness, you know, um, mm-hmm. coming up. Mm-hmm. And it's... It's tied to a couple of things. It's tied to this uh, question of sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. It's tied to the question of consent and, bo- you know, personal mm-hmm. boundaries. And I think it's a bit conflicted situation because it usually goes in a way that when people demand that their personal boundaries should be respected, it always goes that way, especially in commercial settings where somebody is, you know, creating services for someone. Mm-hmm. If anybody complains, then they will um, impose stricter limits. Mm-hmm. And it also comes it comes with uh, social media that is mm-hmm. almost always U.S. based. Mm-hmm. So we are basically force-fed United States backwards sexual morality mm-hmm. and morality against nudity through the social media channels, mm-hmm. through the businesses that enforce these kind of rules which from my point of view are actually sex negative and and they are unnecessarily restricting. This is basically my talk in Turku this fall. Sounds good. Because I'm really interested in this because I feel this huge backlash here in Iceland and we've been talking about this for a few years now within NAX. Yes. The backlash with nudity. Even if the discussion about harassment, consent and, you know, what is allowed to do in different contexts is very important and and good discussion. The problem is that uh, the conservatives and prudish people can use it to to damage uh, open sexual culture. Mm-hmm. And that, that's why we also need some counterpowers. I also feel it. that those who are the most prudish and most conservative, they are the ones who sexualize almost every encounter and mm. every being, you know. So I feel that they are sometimes, they, they are often the ones putting sexual meaning where there is none. Yeah, sure. And that's like so problematic. Yeah. different cases. It's, it's, a, it's a bit funny in a way because naturalism is not necessarily 
sexual by you know by definition it can be something else as well. yeah yeah exactly and i feel it this has been it's it's harmful on like a, a cultural level and just like on in these various social settings but it's also harmful in a private setting so it's mm-hmm. also harm, harmful between just partners when uh, nudity is always sexualized yes because you you're missing so much intimacy and and just uh conversation and pleasure with uh, when you always have to sexualized nudity do you have yeah so i mean so what do you feel are like um our battlefields now in sexology oh that's a good question where where to focus uh do do you think of a global global answer or you know more like Uh, nordic answer well global answer maybe a short global answer and then a nordic answer well globally the problems are huge i'd say Mm -hmm. it it comes to the basic basic you know women's rights mm-hmm. um, right to sex education then working against conservative forces that try to impose new uh, uh, limitations on abortion or for example reproductive rights as we're seeing in the US huge backlash yes and in in, in um, Latin America in Brazil and in Argentina there have been also big movements to restrict abortion and in Poland so these are the cases we have been watching now in Ireland the situation went went actually the other way around I was was so glad yeah um but these are not the only things. Then there is the whole uh, homophobic mm-hmm. part of Africa. That is something that is kind of a huge problem and it develops very slowly uh, what comes to LGBT uh, rights uh, and diversity issues. And then there is the Muslim world, world which is mm-hmm. in part even, even worse. Uh, in, in this sense, and what comes to women's rights, it's, it's a bit of a problematic topic mm-hmm. in many Muslim countries. So there are huge problems around basic rights and basic sexual rights in, in many countries around the world. Mm-hmm. And the problem seems to be that the conservatives and religious bodies are already on the same page, in a way. They can yeah. oppose certain things together very strongly. Mm-hmm. And the liberal People and the liberal, more liberal countries tend to be more, you know, um, separate from each other because they have different focuses, different issues are important to them, and also they might have, a, as you know, in a liberal system, people might have different opinions, mm-hmm. and and some of the threats are in, in in political level are that the conservative countries lump together. Mm-hmm. and create a strong coalition against um, women's rights, reproductive rights, and LGBT rights, for example. Yeah. And the liberals are, you know, discussing the finer point. At the same time, the liberals are discussing the finer points of consent or something, which yeah. is important, but compared to this kind of a basic struggle yeah, of yeah, basic yeah. rights, it's something, you know, over there that doesn't really mean anything if you don't even have the right to express your sexuality at all. Yeah. So, um these kind of situations can happen. So um, globally, we need to look very carefully on the basic issues and uh, try to oppose and try to bring, bring build coalitions to oppose oppose the conservative forces in these cases. Mm-hmm. And what about in the Nordic, our neck of the woods? Um, well, let me think of the situation in Finland. Or what are we working with currently? Mm-hmm. One of our, a couple of our, our political goals would be uh, 
to improve sex education, mm -hmm. to have a, a trained sex educator in every school in Finland. Amazing. There's still a ro ro long road to achieve that, but it's something that we have stated that this needs to happen. Mm -hmm. um, then we have uh, another focus is, is the rights of disabled people. Yeah, we haven't even started that talk in Iceland. They really there's a there's a huge kind of uh, I guess push against it. Oh, okay. that's my experience. Well, that's pretty interesting because it, it you can easily ground it by human rights and sexual rights. Exactly. How to, how to you know remove the obstacles that are on on you know on the road to actually have certain freedoms of if you live in an institution. And the situation might be horrible. You you cannot even have your own personal time with the door closed, mm -hmm. depending on the situation, or have visitors in your own home with mm -hmm. which you pay rent for, for example. Yep. <laughs> and these kind of things. And then we also need to work with, within the positive field to give information to uh, help with access to information, and then um, be prepared to organize assistance in sexual matters. Like well, I, I guess this is why there's a, a difference in discussion between Iceland and Finland, because mm. um, sex work is legalized in Finland, then you might be open to having these discussions, but whereas it is highly illegal here in Iceland, so every mention of um, assisting a disabled person that needs assistance in sexual matters, it's just, it's just off the table. You know, it's not open for yeah. discussion. But you can easily, well, I understand that people want to, co you know, they want put to the things together, yeah, yeah. to lump them together, to make them uh, difficult, to, um, difficult to discuss. But you can easily argue that uh, assisting in sex is not sex work. Oh, yeah, but that discussion is not up for grabs here. That's, it, they just, it's equal to. Hmm. And, but you hear when you talk to um, those who are assisting disabled people and the, um, the phys eds and all, all these people, they're like, we, I really want to help. How can I help? Is it legal for mm. me or illegal? You know, so yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of people. There's a lot of people wanting to make mm -hmm. the change. And but the, the discussion is not there. Mm -hmm. Funny thing is that in our organization, we have now a. Uh, Moved a bit. First, we started the discussion a couple of years ago, like um, with the, with the point that assisted sex is not sex work. Exactly. It has different goals. It has you know uh, structure. It, it has different ethical stance. Mm -hmm. You have different kind of training for that. But then now we actually have moved uh, towards the stance that, of course, there is a kind of a blurred line between sex work and assisted sex somewhere in the in the deeper end. Mm -hmm. And our our you know. Uh, political stance is now more like what does it matter? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you have a person who is trained, who works ethically uh, because the real the real fact in this matter is that sex workers are more capable and equipped to assist hands-on in sex situ sexual situations mm -hmm. than the, for example, health or social care workers. Mm -hmm. They have a long distance to cover to end up in a place they can actually assist hands-on in, in a sexual situation. Mm -hmm. Sex workers, instead, they need to do some training about uh, the procedures, the structures, the ethics, and then they already have the skills they need. Mm -hmm. It's a funny thing. They have a, they, they're more capable because they already work with bodies. They don't, mm -hmm. they don't shy away from sex, on sex or sexual contact. So they have the skills. They, they need to train 
a bit and they need to you know um, update for example their, their practices in a way mm-hmm. that they are more accessible and they are considering some of the things that the disabled people might need mm-hmm. but but they have you know we can do this in like three-day training uh, program which we yeah. have in Expo. Yeah okay perfect. But if you take a social or healthcare worker you need to train them to be a sex therapist or something first, and then they might consider that this might be important too. But sex therapy also is not hands-on at all. Exactly. You just you know, lay, lay back in the chair and you know talk to people, mm-hmm. and this is your professional stance. Mm-hmm. They have a long road still, even if they think that this is important. They cannot just take the step easily. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think you have um, very important and interesting notes there. And I remember I tried to open this discussion on my Facebook, and I just I didn't have enough hours in the day to answer angry comments. <laughs> I just I had to yeah. shut it down because I was like, okay, this is not getting anywhere. This is not a helpful discussion because you're just shutting it down with um, going into sex work is illegal and you're supporting slavery and human trafficking. And I was like, okay, the, when you go there, you know there's no debating it. We have a lot of good, you know, radical points to bring to Iceland. I think we really need to start thinking about this. We have, you know, the pornography discussion in Iceland. Oh, Tommy, I was gonna, I was about. gonna talk. I was gonna tell you about this um, when we meet in Turku. But I've had so much porn backlash that in one week I was just, I like, I had to spend a whole weekend just b- being away from the computer because I was just like. Oh my God, what just happened? It's such a strong undercurrent here. And they're just like, it's. it feels sometimes like they're waiting. They're waiting for their chance to finally, like, uh, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't even know what they want to, what, what people want to, um, what they want to have happen, because I think we've tried to diminish it and get rid of it in every way possible. But there's still this, like it feels like they're waiting to just scream, you know. I've I've been banned from schools because I've been thought to we, be porn, a pro porn, and I'm like, what's anti porn? What's pro porn? What do you mean by this? So it's, mm-hmm. and it's 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 so hard. We're we're dealing with it in such a weird way here in Iceland because there's mm-hmm. this huge backlash on nudity, and sexual sure. freedom, and we're such in a, we're in a, such a weird place. Do you have have a law that do you need to filter uh, the internet traffic, for example? So can you access international porn sites? Or is yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't do that. They were trying okay. to push that through, uh, but the pirate party actually did stop that. Blocked it. Okay, yeah, very good. Yeah, but they did have okay. a committee. A co- um, they did have a committee probably four years back. Yeah. That was trying so fundamental legal discussion is kind of theoretical then. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's quite, but it is stated in the law that it is quite illegal, and you can get jail time for distributing or selling or um, manufacturing. <laughs> oh. um, I think we need to cut this short for now, but I think we'll need to interview again, Tommy. Amazing. Well, I'm happy to continue. This has been a delightful discussion, and we just did like 45 minutes yeah, without blinking. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, okay, there's going to be like 20, 25 minutes. So, um, thank you for the chat, and I'll check within you. I'll check check you out again. And I'm totally happy to visit Iceland anytime. So, uh, I know you're. Let's just we'll... the ball rolling at some point to to bring these radical discussions there as well, and and see what happens. Yeah, and we love having you. So. Until we chat again, my dearest Tommy. Yes, okay. let's chat again. Okay, let's see. Have a nice day. Bye. Bye. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of From One Sexologist to Another. If you want to be a guest on the show, you can contact me on my website, sigadak.com. That's S-I-G-G-A-D-O-G-G dot com.